So in many ways, my husband Doug and I are very alike. We like a lot of the same stuff. We like the same sports teams, which is really important in a marriage because I've seen some pretty crazy fights between husbands and wives when one likes the Mets and one likes the Yankees. We like the same TV shows. We like the same um, music most of the time. I mean, it took about 16 years for me to like his 80s metal, but it kind of grew on me through the years where I can now listen to Striper and not get a migraine. Um, But there is one thing that is definitely very different about Doug and I, and that is in the things that we like to eat. If you know Doug, you know this to be true. He is very, very picky. Now, for me, I will eat most things. I'll give it a try, as long as it's not, like, still crawling on the plate, um, and it looks somewhat edible, I'll give it a try, but not my husband. It would be easier to get him to go to the dentist for a root canal than to try certain foods. And he thinks at 38 years old that nobody sees the food that's hidden under his napkin. I'm like, honey, we know it's there. We see it. It doesn't even work. You know, the craziest thing is that it's not even some, like, exotic and different food that he won't try. Take zucchini. I love zucchini. All of my kids love zucchini. Doug won't try zucchini. So... One day I was making zucchini, and the kids and I really wanted him to enter into the joy that is zucchini. And so we were trying to get him to try it. Now, wives in the room, future wives, I do not recommend nagging your husband. It is not a good thing to do. But that night I was a horrible example because I got all three kids and I to push, to yell, to shout, Doug, just try the zucchini. And I think because he wanted me to be quiet, he grabbed a piece, he shoved it in his mouth, and he left the room. And I yelled from the kitchen, do you like it? And he yelled back, nope. Now, I think that Doug is a little bit leery of trusting my opinion in food and going places and trying things because of something that happened years ago. So early on in our marriage, before we had kids, You know when you're going to go somewhere to eat with someone else, whether it's your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or friend, and you always have this conversation, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Why do we do that? That's not true. Because as soon as the person says something that we don't want to go to, we go, no, I don't want to go there. Well, I thought you said you didn't care. But the truth is we do care. But one night, Doug shocked me. I suggested going to a Spanish restaurant because I love Spanish food. And it was this little kind of like, hole-in-the-wall Spanish restaurant. It's not like a Moe's or some big chain. And he actually agreed to go with me. And so we go to this place, and I'm all hopeful. I'm all excited. He's going to see how right I've been all these years. He's going to love it. This is going to be our new go-to place. And that's not what happened. So we get into this restaurant, and there is nobody there except the waiters, not one other person. And I see the panic in Doug's eye, and I kind of see him look toward the door because he was about to make a run for it. So we get to our seat, we order our food, and all is kind of going well. The food comes, um, and he's eating it, and I'm kind of holding my breath and seeing how he's going to respond. And he says, I like it. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I was like, yes. And then things went really badly. Something happened that I did not see coming. Now, I promise you this is 100% truth. I am in church. I am not lying to you. (laughs) There was a noise that we suddenly heard, a noise from the kitchen that you don't want to hear in the restaurant kitchen. Now, I was going to do this noise for you all, but I realized I don't do it justice. So I'm going to play this noise for you. You guys ready? This is what I heard. (laughs) 
And with that, Doug threw his fork and knife and said, I am done. And I don't know if he meant he's done with just the meal, but I think he meant I'm done with ever going any place that you suggest ever again. The, I don't know if the waiters were playing some joke on us and they had some music in the background that they were playing because they were hysterical laughing at us in the corner. And when they brought us the check, they had taken Doug's meal off the check. Like that makes up for the disturbing noises that's coming from the kitchen. So to say that that experience is not how I thought things were go, it's not how I expected things to go, and honestly, I could say I did not see that coming. Did you guys see that coming? You didn't see that coming. On a much, much bigger scale, life doesn't always go how we expect things to go. Life doesn't always go how we hoped or how we planned. There are things that happen in life that you and I didn't see coming. Just to give you a few examples, nobody hopes on their wedding day that they'll have a difficult and painful marriage. No one hopes that the report that comes back from the doctor is going to be a bad one. No one hopes to have a fractured and broken relationship with somebody that they were once close to. No one hopes that their family gets ripped apart by addiction. No one hopes for financial strains. No one hopes that they are hurt and deeply wounded by somebody else's words or actions. And yet living in this broken world, those things do happen, don't they? And when we do, so often we are left with certain things. We are left maybe feeling confused and saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? If you you love me, then why am I going through this? Maybe we're left really discouraged. You know, sometimes I think we're left exhausted emotionally and physically. Did you ever go through something so difficult that it affected you physically that you just felt overwhelming, exhausted, like you couldn't go through your day because of how hard it was that you were facing? But here's the good news tonight, and here's what I want to talk about, that no matter what you and I ever face, no matter whatever comes our way that we did not see coming, there is something that we are never left without. And the thing that we are never left without when we know Christ is this, is that we are never left without hope. And when I talk about hope, I'm not talking about the kind of hope that says, I really hope it doesn't rain today, or the kind of hope that says, I really hope that the Mets win a World Series after 30 years. I'm talking about the hope that means we don't lose heart, that we don't despair. And there is hope for the believer in Christ that is not based on our circumstances, An unshakable hope that doesn't come from if everything on our checklist of how we hoped life would go is checked off. And here's why this message is so important. is because so often when we go through those times of discouragement, when we go through those times that we didn't see coming, hope is not something that just naturally and automatically happens. A lot of times during those times, hope is something that you and I have to fight for. And the way that we fight for hope is by looking to the truth that we're going to talk about tonight. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here and we want you to feel welcome here. But you know what it's like to go through difficulty. You know what it's like to go through things that you didn't see coming because there is nobody that is immune to suffering. You know, one of the biggest struggles that people have with putting their trust in God is the problem of pain. It's this question of, God, if you're real and you're good, then why is there so much pain in my life? And not just my life. Why is there so much pain in this world? Why does something happen like it happened in Florida today? 
But my prayer for you is that your eyes would be open to see that we do have a very real God, a good God who stepped into our pain and did for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. We're going to mainly be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tonight, but before we get to those verses, I want to talk about the person who is writing those verses. You see, because what he has to say to us bears much more weight when we understand his life experiences, when we know what he himself has walked through. So before we get to the verses, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, and the writer of this is Paul. And Paul gives us a glimpse to the hardships that he's faced in life. Verse 24 says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Unfrequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's a rough time. That's an overwhelming pressure. You know, Paul would not have been the poster boy for the prosperity gospel that says that if you know Jesus, everything is supposed to go well and perfect for you and you're never going to go through anything hard. He experienced unbelievable things. And that's someone who may begin to question, God, are you with me? Do you love me? If you, if you did, then why am I going through such difficult things? Let's talk about what Paul is doing. Is Paul out living for himself in some kind of crazy sin? No, Paul is living for God, and yet it's like one wave of difficulty after another. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you didn't even have a chance to catch your breath because it was like one thing after another that made it so hard to even just get out of the bed every day? Yet Paul is someone who, despite all of that, all the things that he experienced, was not only full of hope, but he was full of joy. And the question is, how is that possible? Well, Paul's going to tell us the source of hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So let's talk for a minute about jars of clay. A few months ago, I had the idea that I was going to change all of our plastic storage containers in our house to glass. Because glass is safer, because it's better, you can put it in the microwave, you don't have to worry about chemicals. Well, for the Jansen family, that was a really bad idea. Because when you drop a plastic container, the worst that it happens is it bounces a couple of times across the floor. Well, not with glass. We have dropped, broken, cracked more glass containers in the last few months than I care to count. And I can't even just like blame it on my kids. I've, I've lo- I dropped three in one week. I'm ridiculous. I have just these, like, I don't know, jello hands, and I keep dropping them. Well, like glass, jars of clay are fragile. They're easily cracked, easily broken. You see, our hope is never in how strong we are. Our hope is never in how are we able to face difficulty on our own. Our hope is what is inside this fragile vessel. And Paul says, in us there is a treasure. 
And so the question is, what is that treasure that Paul is talking about? Well, earlier in verses 4 through 6, Paul talks all about two things. He talks about the gospel, and he talks about the incredible power of Jesus. And so the treasure that is in you and I is the hope of the gospel, and it's the power of Christ in us. And because we are jars of clay that are easily broken and fragile, when you and I go through difficult experiences and we don't fall apart, it doesn't point to how strong or how great we are. It points to what's inside of us. It points to Christ in us. Sam Storm says this, It is against the backdrop of our weaknesses that his strength is seen. This accounts for why those who bring the greatest glory to God are often those who are the least impressive when judged by human standards alone. There is not one person in this room that should say, God can't use me, that I'm too broken, that I'm not strong enough, because it's not about your strength and my strength. It's Christ in us. Paul wasn't able to go through all those things because he was strong and because he was stoic and he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. No, Paul was able to go through those things because the power of Christ strengthened him, enabled him, kept him together. Now, I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't know what you've been through in your life, but if you know Jesus, then Christ in you makes all the difference. Let's go on. Verse 8 says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And you know what these verses are saying? These verses are saying life is incredibly hard. But because Christ is in me, I won't be ultimately destroyed by them. You know, that doesn't mean that life is not difficult. All those different things that Paul says we are, we're afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down are difficult. But because Christ is in us, it changes everything. You know what really stands out to me about these two verses are those two words, crushed and forsaken. And the reason why those stands out to me is because those are two words that are used in Scripture to describe what Jesus experienced at the cross for us. Those are two things that we will never be because of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus was crushed in our place. He took our sin our shame, our guilt, our punishment on himself. And because of that, you and I will never be crushed by what we face in this life. And the other word forsaken is the same exact word that Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you and I can go through life. We could be abandoned by every single person in this world, but we will never be abandoned by God. Why? Because Jesus was first forsaken for us. In all of our afflictions, and all of our confusing situations that we just can't understand why they are happening, there is divine strength for us. See, even if every single circumstance in your life right now gives you reason to despair, there is still hope. Paul goes on, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
Did you know that when this was written, that Paul was writing to people who actually accused him of not having sufficient faith because of all the difficulties that he was going through? They made this accusation that if you were a true apostle of God, then life wouldn't be so hard for you. That God would kind of make your path easier and straighter. And that wasn't what he was going through. But do you know what Paul is saying in these verses? That the opposite is true. For it is all for your sake. What? All that he has experienced. So that the grace may extend to more and more people. So that through the way Paul went through suffering, more and more people turn to see the incredible beauty of Jesus and his ability to change a life and sustain. One commentator says this, so far from being an anomaly or the proof of the illegitimacy of his claim to apostleship, as some of the Corinthian opponents seem to believe, his afflictions and hardships were the badge of his apostolicity, evidence that the power of God rested on him. Each time Paul was imprisoned or beaten or any hardship that he ever faced, It wasn't because God wasn't with him. It wasn't because God didn't love him. It was so that Jesus would be more clearly seen through his life. Whether that was the miraculous deliverance from certain things or just God sustaining him as he continued to walk through that trial. Can you imagine if Paul just gave up? Can you imagine if he believed what the Corinthian church had to say? That if you really are a genuine child of God, that you wouldn't be going through this. And maybe that's where some of you are struggling tonight. That if you had enough faith, maybe your circumstances would be different or you'd be seeing more answer to prayer or maybe life wouldn't be so hard. But what if what you are going through is so that you would rely more on him and less on yourself? What if what you are going through, those confusing situations that right now you can't understand, is so that the power of Christ may be seen clearer through your life? pointing in his ability to carry you through. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we were both saying that it is in the most difficult times in our lives that we have felt the nearness of our Savior the most. Not when all is well, not when all is at peace. It's when we've gone through suffering. And what we both said is that we wouldn't trade those times for more peaceful times because we came out of them with a greater understanding that our God is with us to strengthen us and to help us And to be with us. What Paul has been saying so far is this. Life is hard. But the power of Christ is in us. And under everything he said, he draws a line. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 16. Where he says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We do not lose hope. We do not despair. You know, the... Outer self wasting away is a reference to all the hardships that Paul was facing. But notice at the very same time that he's facing it, his inner self is being renewed or strengthened day by day. It didn't matter what was happening on the outside because on the inside of Paul was a strengthening. You know, I think so often what's going on on the outside in our life is the qualifier for how we're feeling on the inside. You know, it's when finances are better, then I'll kind of have peace. It's when I get the good report from the doctor, then I'll stop worrying. When my relationships are better, it's then that I'll have joy. But Christ in us means that there is hope and there is strength and there is joy that has nothing to do with what's going on on the outside. 
Let's go on, verse 17. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Paul gives two descriptions to the afflictions in this verse. He says they're light and he says they're momentary. And maybe this is where you're thinking, what I'm going through does not feel light and it feels like it's never ending. How can Paul say that? Well, I'll tell you what Paul is not doing. Paul is not putting on some fake smiley face and acting like all is well when it's not. He's not saying that his sufferings and your sufferings are not a big deal. I'll tell you what he's doing. He is making a comparison here. He's comparing all the difficulties and all the hardship and all the things he didn't see coming in this life with all the things that he has in Christ. And when he does that, he says they're light and they're momentary. And it's not until you and I start comparing the things that we're going through to all that we have in Christ that we can say, like Paul, they're light and they're momentary. The hope that we have in Christ cannot compare to the painful and difficult moments of this life. And you know, that's a lot easier to say when all is well. That's a lot easier to say when life's going how we hoped. But what about when it feels like our world is falling apart? How do we fight for hope then? How do we cling to and trust those words that he just said? Paul tells us in this next verse, he says in verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so we do not lose heart, not automatically, but as we look to something. And you know, this is so important for us to understand. Did you ever go through something difficult and it's all you can think about? It's like it was all you can see. It's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. And it's the first thing that you think about when you wake up. It's where all your thoughts and energy and attention are focused. Well, when we do that, it's so easy for us to plunge into despair and to plunge into hopelessness. When we take our eyes off of the temporary and to the eternal, like Paul is talking about, that's how you and I start fighting for hope. To look to in this verse means to meditate or to think about. So the question is, what are we to think about? What is eternal that we meditate on that gives us hope? And if you continue to read in 2 Corinthians and go to chapter 5, Paul talks about the hope of heaven. I love these verses in Revelation 21.4 that says about a coming day, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. See, a very real day is coming when all of this pain and all the disappointments in this life will seem like nothing. Joni Erickson Tata became a quadriplegic at age 17 when she dove headfirst into a lake that she thought was a lot deeper than it actually was. And this is what she says about our hope and what we look forward to. The best we can hope for in this life is a not whole peak at the shining realities ahead, yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrows currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. You know what's so incredible? That it's not just our worst moments that will be light in comparison to eternity, 
but it's even our very best moments here and now will pale in comparison to all that God has for us. You know, think about some of your best days in this life. For me, the day I got married, the day I had my children. But even those days, as incredible as they are, pale in comparison to all that we have to look forward to in Christ. But you know what I think? I think that it's not just thinking about heaven that's eternal. It's not just thinking about heaven that gives us hope to face the difficulties here or now. You see, there are other things that are eternal. There are other things that as we think about, as we go through difficult times, gives us a hope. And there's a lot of them, but I'm just going to give us two. And the first one is this, our justification. You see, because of what Jesus has done, we are in right standing with God. None of our sins are held against us. There's no condemnation for those who know Christ. All of our sins have been nailed to the cross. Does anybody here watch Fox News? Probably not. I watch Fox News every day in our home. I love Fox News. And if I forgot to put it on in the morning, my seven-year-old son Landon puts it on as soon as he comes down the stairs. Now, Landon, for some reason, loves the election stuff. He watches it every day before school. There was a time that Landon can tell you every single name of every candidate running, their age, which was really odd, and the nickname that Trump had for each of those candidates. For a long time, Landon loved Marco Rubio, little Marco. That was his nickname. And the day that they announced that Marco Rubio dropped out of the race, Landon was sitting next to me on the couch, and he stood up. And he said, Mom, I'm going to my room. I need some alone time. I was like, okay. So he went up to his room. A few weeks later, he said to me, Mom, remember when I had to go to my room for some alone time? I said, yeah, I remember. He goes, well, I kind of cried a little bit. I was like, aw. Well, one day this week, Landon came down and he put on Fox News. And I wasn't really paying attention. I was getting lunches ready and packing backpacks for school for the kids that day. But then I heard something that got my attention. I heard something that made me stop what I was doing and listen. And it was the day after Muhammad Ali died. And they were interviewing one of Muhammad Ali's friends. And this is what his friend said. He said, I know that he was ready to die because he knew that his good deeds finally outweighed the bad. And I just stopped. And I shook my head. And I had this thought that no matter how great Muhammad Ali was, that even if he lived another thousand years, and if you and I were somehow able to live a thousand years, our bad deeds cannot outweigh our good. You see, our justification is not based on our good works. Our right standing with God is because Jesus has done it all for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's all his amazing grace. Jesus has done it all for us. See, why do we think about that as we go through difficult times? Because whenever you and I start to doubt God's love for us and his goodness based on our circumstances, and we look to the cross, we see how deep, how wide, how amazing his love is for us. See, our justification the knowledge that we are in right standing with God from no doing of our own gives us a hope that no circumstance can take away. See, our justification is why you and I can say, no no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. 
So our justification is one of those eternal things that we turn our eyes to. Well, what else? Our adoption. You see, you and I are not just forgiven, although that is amazing. We have now been made a child of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Would you think about for a minute with me, if there was a king that heard that there was a child that was stuck in some ditch somewhere and the child was dirty and hungry and alone and cold and he sent one of his servants to go get that child out and clean him up, give him something to eat, find someone to care for him. You would say that that's a good king, right? But that's not what our king has done for us. You see, our king didn't send a servant. He came himself. And he didn't throw down a rope. He climbed into the pit that we were in of sin and brokenness and hopelessness. And he pulled us out, cleaned us off with his own blood, and he made us his child. You know, when I'm having a difficult day or a week or an extended period of time, and I really think about the fact that I'm a child of God and my position in him is secure, it puts all those other things in life into perspective. It starts to make those difficult things seem light and momentary. Yeah, life is hard. But all affliction, all difficulty, all disappointments, light and momentary in comparison to eternal things. And so my question for you is this, where are your eyes fixed? Are your eyes only fixed on the difficulty that you're going to through? Or are you daily thinking about all that Jesus has accomplished for you? We've been justified, just as if we've never sinned. We've been adopted. We are a child of God. A day is coming with there be no pain, no tears, no death. And better than all of that, a day is coming that we will be with Jesus forever. And because of all of that and so much more, you and I have every reason to have hope. You and I have every reason not to despair no matter what we ever face in this life. Marshall Shelley is one of the editors of Christianity Today. And years ago, a couple of days before Thanksgiving, his baby, born, baby boy was born at 8.20 p.m. And at 8.22 p.m., his baby boy died. And he wrote an article called Two Minutes to Eternity. And in it, he talks about how a nurse came over to them as they were holding their baby who had already passed away and said, does the baby have a name? And without hesitation, his wife said, yes, his name is Toby, which is short for Tobiah, which is a biblical name that means God is good. And after that, Marshall preached a message called Life is Hard, and God is good. How can they say that? How could they say that God was good? Better yet, how could they name their baby who only lived two minutes, God is good? You see, because they could see beyond the momentary pain to a day that was coming without pain and suffering and death. They could see beyond their momentary pain to a Savior who did it all to make them their, his child. And so that doesn't mean they understood why God allowed their baby to die. It doesn't mean that they didn't cry and mourn and struggle over why God allowed them to go through that. It just means that in the midst of unthinkable difficulty, they clung to the hope that they have in Christ. Look, you may not understand what's going on in your life. It may have left a lot of questions for you, maybe even some doubt. But there is an anchor for your soul. 
And that anchor is Christ in you to strengthen you, to sustain you. Let me talk for a minute to those of you here today that wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And here's what I want you to do for a minute. Would you forget everything that you think you know or you've heard about religion? You see, because the gospel is not a set of things to do to be a better person. The gospel is that Jesus came for all of us who were lost in our sin and in our shame and unable to do anything to save ourselves. And he took our place by taking our sin and our punishment and dying on the cross and rising again. You know what I love about the word of God is that it shows us that there is no person so lost or so sinful that the grace of God cannot completely come in and transform and change your life. He gives an invitation, and the invitation is to come to him. He doesn't say, go get yourself better, go clean yourself up, and then come to me. You know, he says, come as you are, come broken, come weighted, and let me change your life. You know, there isn't a magic prayer that saves you. If you say it just like this, that means you're saved, but often it does start with a prayer. It starts with believing that what Jesus did at the cross, he did for you personally. And that doesn't mean that now if you come to Christ, you'll never go through difficulty again. But it means that you will never go through it alone. That you will have a mighty God who is with you both to help you and also to show himself strong on your behalf. What we all walk away with tonight is this, because Christ is in us, we have every reason to have hope. You know, this is not denying the reality of difficult situations. This is holding everything that we will ever face with the backdrop of all that we have in Jesus and all that he has promised to be for us. You see, because what Jesus has done for us, this life is not all there is. Because of what Jesus has done for us, when we feel overwhelmed and like we're drowning, he is in us to keep our head above the water. Because Jesus is in us, because all that he has done for us, all of our sin, all of it, not part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Because of what Jesus has done for us, you and I have every reason to have hope. Christ in us is our source of hope. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the incredible truth we've seen in your word today. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, for all that he has accomplished for us. We praise you for the gospel. We praise you for grace that has been poured out on undeserving people. And I pray that you would just help and strengthen every single person in this room as they face the difficulties and disappointments of this life to turn our eyes onto you, to turn our eyes onto all that you have done for us and all that you've promised to be for us in the midst of difficulties. We pray now that our heart's response would be worship and praise and a peace and confidence knowing that our God has us. We just love you so much. We thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.